Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Dvarim. My name is Menachem Liebteg. Today we continue our study of Parshat Ki Shir number 2 out of 6. In today's Shir we will be studying in chapter 22 from verses 1 through 12. It divides into two sections. The first four verses discuss returning lost items, better known as HaShabbat Abidah. And verses 5 through 12 will be several miscellaneous laws in regard to our day-to-day behavior. Our first topic today will provide us with an opportunity to appreciate the connection between laws that we find in Parshat Mishpatim and laws that we find now in Sefer Tvarim. For the topic of returning lost items, HaShabbat Avidah was first introduced in chapter 23 of Sefer Shmot, towards the end of the laws in Parshat Mishpatim. And in today's show, we will see an expansion of those laws. So first, let's read the beginning of chapter 22 in Sefer Tvarim, see what the law is, and then we'll see how it relates to the previous law that was first given in Parshat Mishpatim. Chapter 22, verse 1, Perach Abet, Pasuk Aleph. Lo tireh et shor achicha, o et seyon nidachim, v'italamtam mehem, hashev teshivem l'achicha. You should not see your friend's ox or one of his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them, or basically pretend like you didn't see it. Instead, you shall certainly bring them back to your friend. The Torah is describing a typical case where a person is walking along the way and notices a stray animal, and it seems quite clear to him that that stray animal belongs to someone. He might know who the owner is, he might not know who the owner is, and he has two choices. He can either ignore what he sees and continue on his way, or he can do something about it and make an effort to return that animal to its owner. If he does nothing, the animal will continue to go astray, and then maybe someone else will return it, Maybe the animal will run away and never come back to its owner. Maybe the owner might find it. Or if he decides to take action, he can return it. But let's say he doesn't know who the owner is. That means he has to take the animal, take care of it in his own home, and then go look for the owner, and then deal with feeding the animal and taking care of it. That would be quite a burden on a person, and therefore a logical reason for him to look the other way and not take any action at all. Another possibility could be, if he knows who the animal belongs to, but it could be he doesn't like that person. Why should I waste my time, he'll say, and help a person I don't like. Soon we're going to see that is the case that Sefer Shmot is talking about, but that is not the case that we see here. When we continue reading, we will see that this is primarily a case where we don't know who the owner is. Or if we do know the owner, it's someone who the owner is friendly with. We'll see this now in the next verse, in verse 2, Pasuk Bet. Bim lo karo if the person who owns this animal is not close by, in other words, it's not easy to return it to him right away, or you don't know who that person is, then you must gather this animal and bring it into your home, and it must stay with you, which means you have to take care of it, until your friend or neighbor looks for it, and then you can return it to him. Now you see why it would be so logical for a person simply to pretend not to notice the animal. And therefore, the verb here is litalem, is to pretend not to notice or to ignore something on purpose. In the next verse, we're going to widen this case, even items that do not move. Pasuk Gimel, verse 3. You must do the same if you see his donkey. Or you must do the same thing if you see his garment. Obviously, the garment is not moving or walking. It fell down on the street somewhere, and you noticed it. Again, you could ignore it, or you could pick it up and hope 
you'll be able to find the owner and return it to him. And this you must do to any lost item of your brother that he may have lost and you find it. You are not permitted to ignore it or neglect it. You must take action and you must return it. Before we see the parallel law in the book of Shmot, one general comment about this law in Sefer Dvarim. Recall that we were noticing the many parallels between the Ten Commandments and the progression of laws in Sefer Dvarim, and we had parallels and expansions of Shabbat in regard to the holidays, of honoring parents in regard to leadership, in regard to Lot Tirzach, about going to war in cities of refuge, and we had Botinaf and Eshe Ifatar, and now it seems we have an expansion of the concept of Lot Tignov, thou shalt not steal. Of course, it's forbidden to steal another person's property, but this is a very wide extension of that concept. Not only is it forbidden to steal from someone, if someone lost something and you have the ability to return it to him, then not returning that item, it's taking the prohibition of thou shalt not steal to an extreme. But this also reflects a frame of mind and a way of life that would create a just society. Imagine if everyone in their day-to-day life acted in this manner, the type of society that would form, and that is a society that Sefer Dvarim is trying to create in its various laws that we've been seeing since the beginning of the law section. In verse 4, we have one final law. You should not see your brethren's donkey or his ox falling on the way or on the road. In other words, it's carrying some burden. And what it's carrying falls down and you have to start picking things up. And again, to ignore what's going on or neglect and pretend you didn't see. Instead, instead you shall certainly help him and raise those items back up onto the donkey or onto the ox and let him continue his journey. Here we know who the owner is. The animal is not even lost. But here we have an opportunity to help a person in distress. And also, if we don't help him, he may lose that cargo that is being carried, it might scatter, it might get ruined, and therefore this might cause them also financial loss, you have an opportunity to help him, and therefore we're commanded to help that person even though he can do it himself. If we go back and compare this case to what we found earlier in the book of Shmot in chapter 23 verses 4 and 5, we have a similar case, in fact two similar cases, but much simpler. There in verse 4, Ki tifka shor should you bump into an ox or a donkey that has gone astray, but you know who the owner is, and the person who owns the animal is someone you do not like, your enemy. Nonetheless, you must still certainly return that item to that person. Here, the motivation why a person might not return the item has nothing to do with the troublesome manner of taking care of the animal or looking for the owner. We know exactly who the owner is, and we could return it to him right away, here, the main motivation would be, I don't like that person, so why bother? Why go out of my way to help someone who I do not like? In the next verse, we have a very similar situation. Should you see the donkey of someone you hate falling down due to the heavy weight that that animal is carrying, and you're holding back from helping him, instead, you must certainly go and help that person even though you don't like him. This second case is quite parallel to the second case we saw in Parshat Ki where it's not a lost item, but rather an animal under distress 
where its owner is in need of immediate help to put the cargo back on top of the animal. In Devarim, the motivation not to help was because you didn't want to bother with it. You didn't have time. Here, your motivation not to help is because the person who owns that animal is someone you do not like. So what we see from here is that in Parsha Mishpatim, we have a very basic law. Commanding a person, he must return a lost item, especially a stray animal, even though he doesn't like the owner. And in Sefer Tvarim, we're expanding that principle to a wider range of cases, even if you do not know the owner, and even though it'll be bothersome to take care of that item, there's still a need to get involved and do whatever possible to return the item to the owner, even if you don't know who it belongs to. In Rashi's commentary to these verses, he adds some very important rabbinic insights. On verse 1, he notes that even though you should not neglect it, but take care, he says, Pamim shatan Sometimes it's okay to ignore and not help. For example, if it's a Kohen, if it's a priest, and the item is found in a graveyard, in a place where a Kohen is not permitted to enter, so in a case like that, you would not need to return the item. Or if it was an elderly person, and it would not be honorable for him to deal with such an animal, then also that elderly person would be exempt from being involved in trying to return that item. On verse 2, Rashi notes that when you return the item, you have to make sure that the person you're returning it to is not lying or trying to cheat you. And you have to verify he is indeed the true owner. That's based on the verse, that you have to doresh, you have to look into this carefully. And Rashi also makes a very interesting observation that you only have to keep the item if it's not going to cost you too much money. So if the animal could work for you and you have to feed it, then that's fine. But if taking care of the animal will cause you financial loss, then you're allowed to sell that item and keep its value. And when the person comes to look for his animal, you give him his money back, but you don't have to keep the animal. In the next section, we're going to find several laws that again deal with day-to-day -day behavior in society. Pasuk hey, verse 5. Lo yech li gever al isha, lo yabash gever simlat isha. A woman should not wear man's clothing, nor should a man put on women's clothing. As Rashi points out, this is not simply a case of modest dress, that it's not nice or proper for a person to walk around in clothing that's usually worn by the other gender, but rather, this is deceit. For example, when a male wants to sneak into a women's bathroom and pretend to be a female by wearing female clothing. And the reason why, because anyone behaving in this manner is detestable in the eyes of Hashem your God. Note the phrase here that this is a toavat Hashem. This is something abhorrent or detestable in the eyes of God. Earlier in Sefer Dvarim in chapter 14, we had the statement, do not eat anything that is detestable. And there the assumption is that type of behavior is detestable in society. And therefore, because you're God's people, act in a proper manner and do not eat things that are disgusting. And it seems to be because it's disgusting, therefore God's people don't act in that manner. Here we're defining what is disgusting. And here we're saying that this type of behavior, deceiving other people, that is something that is abhorrent in the eyes of God. We'll see later on in chapter 25, verse 13 in Sefer Tavarim, when someone uses false weights and tries to cheat someone else in business, that's also referred to as a toavat Hashem, something that is detestable in the eyes of God. Here Chumash is adding another element, that this type of human behavior, which is unfortunately too common, trying to deceive other people, that is a type of behavior that is detestable in the eyes of God. The next case, in verse 6, is quite different. 
פסק ו', כי יקרא כאן ציפור לפניך, בדרך בכל עץ או על הארץ, אפרוחים או ביצים, והאם רובצת על האפרוחים או על הביצים. If you happen by chance to come upon a bird's nest along the way, in any tree or on the ground, and in that nest you find either baby birds or the eggs, and the mother is sitting on those baby children or on her eggs. What are we commanded? Do not take the mother away while it's sitting on its children. In other words, don't take the mother and the eggs, but rather, verse 7, you must send the mother away. Then you can take the babies or the eggs. In order that it may be well with you, and yet you may live for a long time, Ramban enters a very long discussion in regard to the reason for this law. His basic conclusion is that even though it's okay to take animals and eat them, one should not be cruel in his day-to-day behavior. As he says, And he brings an example from a similar law, that when you slaughter an animal in order to eat him, you cannot slaughter the mother and the child on the same day. Even though it's permitted to kill an animal and eat it, do not overdo it. Ramban points out that there are two approaches in regard to this law. One is that do not do something only because God commanded it and has nothing to do with feelings or emotions. And then he brings the other opinion that it's all about training a person not to be too cruel. The commentators also point out that this is talking about a person that by chance finds a bird sitting on its nest and not someone hunting for a bird, which implies that if you are hunting and looking for birds, then it's okay to take a bird. But rather, when it's just by chance, and you find a bird that's sitting on its children, and because it's sitting on its children, it won't fly away, don't be mean, and don't take advantage of the fact that the bird is taking care of its children. Instead, let the mother fly away, and then only afterwards, take the eggs. Also, we should note that the phrase at the end of the verse, in order that things should go well for you, and you should live a long time, that is a shorter version of what we saw many times earlier in Sefer Tvarim, It's almost a type of refrain that should you keep all of God's laws, God will be good to the land, and you as a nation will remain in the land for many years. It's not necessarily referring to promising the specific person with long life for keeping this commandment, but rather it's promising the nation of Israel, if this is typical of their behavior, God will be good to the nation, and they will remain in the land and not go into exile. The next case, we will find another ordinance, which is of preventive nature, to make sure that Damage will not happen in the future. Pasachet, verse 8. Should you build a new house, you are commanded to put a fence around its roof. In this manner, you will not bring blood guilt on your house should anyone fall from your roof. This is a classic example of a typical case which sets a principle in law that a person has to always make sure to take preventive measures that his actions should not cause other people to be hurt. The modern-day application of such laws is very relevant because if someone is working in a building site and you're the contractor in charge, it's your responsibility to take the necessary safety measures to make sure that other people are not hurt. The next law is also of preventive nature, but a very different category of law. Pasuk Ted verse 9, when you plant your vineyard, make sure not to plant your vineyard together with grain. 
The classic case being planting wheat together with your grapes in the same furrow. Now the verse continues to explain the reason. Because if you would do that, all the produce of the seed which you have planted, or the produce of the vineyard, will become ruined. The word here, tikdash, sounds like becoming holy, but as the commentators point out, it doesn't mean it becomes holy, it becomes forbidden. In fact, the rabbis say, not only is it forbidden to eat these kilaim, it is also forbidden to have any benefit from it. Now, in a similar manner, in regarding to mixing two things together that do not belong with each other, in verse 10, Pasuk Yod, Lo When you're plowing your field, do not plow the field with an ox and a donkey together under the same yoke. And as Rashi points out, this is not only referring to specifically an ox and a donkey, but rather any two different species of animals do not put them under the same yoke when in need of driving a wagon. Rather, if you're using more than one animal, make sure that all the animals are the same species. And now in Pasuk Yudbet, in verse 12, we find a different type of a forbidden mixture. One should not wear shatnes. And what is shatnes? When they make a garment out of wool and linen together. And finally, in verse 12, one last and most likely related case. You shall make yourself tassels, what we call tzitzit, on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. As Rashi points out, the juxtaposition of these two laws is to teach you that when you have a linen garment, it is permitted to make tzitzit out of wool. And even though kilaim is usually forbidden, in the case of tzitzit on a garment, it's permitted. These last cases of kilaim, at first glance, appear to be laws that make no sense at all, other than the fact that God commanded them. And that is one approach to chukim, which is usually championed by Rashi, where when God commands you to do something that has no obvious reason other than the fact that God commanded it, and there is no logic to it, then by keeping a law like that, you glorify God because it shows that you're accepting a boss, you're accepting God as your king, and you do things only because God commanded, and therefore, the less a commandment makes sense, the more it glorifies God. Rashi makes this comment in the book of Breshit in chapter 26, verse 5, in regard to the commandments that Avram kept, and the meaning of the word chukim, these are what he calls gzerot melech, decrees of a king that his subjects must keep. And because they make no sense at all, when a nation keeps laws only because the king said so, that glorifies the king. And it also reminds the people who their king is and how they have to be dedicated to him. However, there are many other approaches to chukim, especially Maimonides, the Rambam in Morin of Uchim, tries to find reasons for all the chukim and makes a claim that if we were living in the time of the Bible, all these laws would make sense. The only reason we don't understand them is because we're not living in the time when these laws were first given. But there still remains a need to try our best to understand what their deeper meaning is and what we can learn from them. Quite often, he will suggest reasons that certain things that seem strange to us may relate to ancient customs of idol worship, and therefore they're forbidden because at the time when the Torah was given, this was typical behavior of idol worshippers. Therefore, as God's people, we don't act in this manner. In regard to these laws, I would like to suggest a possibly different direction based on an Ezra in 
the book of Aikra in chapter 19, verse 19, where we have almost these very same laws in Parshat Kedoshim to you. In Vayikra 19.19, we read as follows, At Chukotai Tishmaru, you must keep my chukim, my statutes, and followed by several examples, we find three examples of kilaim in regard to animals, in regard to planting your field, and in regard to clothing. And all these laws of kilaim are introduced, make sure to keep my chukim. So the classic approach is, these are statutes that have no obvious reason, but rather you keep them because God said so. Ebenezer gives a different explanation, and says Chukotai is referring to what we would call the laws of nature. And his claim is, God created in a certain manner that there are different species, and you need to respect God's creation, and therefore make sure to keep creation the way God made it. Do not try to change it, accept it the way it is. Based on that idea, I would like to suggest a slightly different understanding of why these laws are important and what we can learn from them. In the story of creation in chapter 1 of Breshit, we find God creating in six days, and each day God makes something that did not exist before. But there are many distinctions in the story of creation, and one of the main messages behind that story of creation is that man is different than animal, and man was created Elokim in the image of God, unlike all the other animals, and it's very important for man to recognize that he's different than an animal, and that understanding leads him to a more spiritual existence and his need to follow God and understand why God blessed him with this creative ability. Therefore, to remember that God created you in his image, and you're different than the animal kingdom, and you have a responsibility to God, it's important to recognize the nature of creation, noticing the different species, noticing there's a difference between what was created on day three and on day four and day five and day six. And for example, tzemer, cotton, is clothing that comes from animals that were created on day six, and linen comes from vegetation that was created on day three. And don't mix those together. And even, even on things created on the same day, they're different species, they're different types of animals. What creation calls leminehu, each one based on its different species. And even in vegetation, we have a differentiation between what we would call Buripriadama and Buripriadama, between vegetables and fruit. We have and But what might even be more significant is the fact that humans need to remember they're different than animals. And several things that humans do that animals don't do, we find in these laws. In what manner? When it comes to clothing in general, clothing is something that only humans have, animals do not need. But one of the typical differences between humans and animals is the need for clothing. And therefore, when we make clothing, we need to do something to remind ourselves that wearing clothing reminds us of the fact we're made in God's image. And that could be the reason for when you make a garment, make sure to add something at the corner of the garment to remember that your need for clothing should remind you that God made you in His image. I should also note that in the book of Amidbar, in the end of chapter 15, in the laws of Tzitzit, we find an expansion of this idea that not only are tzitzit a reminder that you're created in God's image and wearing clothing should remind you of that concept of tzelem elokim, but as God's people, we have to add a thread of tchelet, of royal blue, to the corners of our garment to remind us that we're chosen by God to serve Him. And just like the Kohen Gadol 
just like the high priest wears the tzitz on his forehead to remind him that he is Kodesh Lashem, the high priest needs to remember that he's separated in the service of God and he has a p'til t'chelet tied to the tzitz, tied to a band on his forehead that says Kodesh Lashem. Every Jew who is also chosen by God to be a mamlechet Kohanim B'Goy Kadosh, to be a priestly nation, they also need a reminder that they are chosen by God to serve Him. So the tzitzit themselves remind us that we're created in God's image, and the tzitzit on the tzitzit remind us that we're chosen by God to be His people. Also, humans are not hunter-gatherers, rather they process food. And two classic examples of processed food are the domestication of wheat and the domestication of animals. We plant wheat, and we process that wheat till we make bread. And when it comes to fruit, the fruit that we process the most would be wine or the grapes of our vineyard. And these two classic examples of civilization, that is the production of wine and the production of bread, are basically symbolize what we do at the beginning of Shabbat to remember creation. We make Kiddush on wine and we make a mozi on bread. So it could be that this prohibition of kilaim, its underlying purpose may be to remind man of the very fact that he's created in God's image and his creative ability, which is typified by his production of bread and his production of wine. Therefore, when you plant your vineyard, do not plant it together with grain. It also reminds me of creation of day three of Bori Priya Daba and Bori Priya Eitz, different types of vegetation. And also when I plow my field, not to plow it with different species of animals together, but rather there are different species of animals. There's the ox and the sheep, which are domesticated animals. And then there's the donkey that's used more for transport. And God created different species that man can utilize, but has to realize the beauty of God's creation and the nature of God creating different forms of animals and the importance of clothing. And using clothing as a reminder again of our being created in God's image and why we're being chosen to be God's people. All these commandments may be daily reminders of our need to remember not only that God created all living things, but the fact that he created man in his image with creativity and his need to use that creativity in a positive manner, especially as part of his religious growth and his relationship with God. So it could be that all these laws that we've seen, which appear at first rather random and rather arbitrary, it could be their underlying purpose may relate to the very essence of man's connection to God and his need to remember to be godly in every aspect of his day-to-day life.